welcome to your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand, and sorry folks, I'm afraid I don't have a ton of great news to share with you today in the beginning of this first segment that I like to call, What Did I Miss? Um, later on, we'll have some some happier news. We'll have a, a nice interview with uh, with Marcus Fuller from the Star Tribune. We'll talk a lot of gopher hoops in uh, in that interview. But uh, yeah, at the outset, not, uh, not a ton of great news. Uh, let's start with the Wild. Minnesota Wild shut down um, five players in COVID protocol joining Marcus Foligno, so that makes six. And um, season shut down until next Tuesday. That's five. They're going to miss four games. Uh, they were supposed to play in Colorado tonight. Uh, they were supposed to have a home set this weekend against Arizona, and then they were supposed to play St. Louis. Uh, none of those games happening. Um, so next game, I believe, will be next Thursday if they're able to get uh, get things going again. So you know, just. Joining a lot of teams, this is not uncommon in the NHL. It's not uncommon in sports, especially early in seasons before leagues kind of figure out how to navigate these protocols. Um, Nick Bukestead, Nick Bonino, Joel Eriksson-Eck, Marcus Johansson, Jared Spurgeon, all going on the COVID list. It doesn't necessarily mean they all have COVID. Um, could just mean that some of them uh, were in close contact with someone who tested positive. But, um, you know, troubling, troubling thing for, for the Wild. You know they're six and five right now. A decent start to the season, and now they will be delayed for four games at a minimum. Same story essentially, but on the women's side of hockey, National Women's Hockey League had to shut down as well. They were so close to the finish line of their very abbreviated season with the Whitecaps, the Minnesota Whitecaps, in the mix for a championship. They were supposed to play the semifinals today, the finals tomorrow. They are shut down because the COVID numbers do not look great there either. So um, another another tough break for a Minnesota team. But again, this is life in the COVID era, right? This is if you're trying to play through, if you're not, uh, you know, even if you're in a bubble, which the Women's Hockey League was in, there's no 100% guarantee that you're going to be able to escape this until the numbers are completely down, until the vaccine is completely kicked in. Uh, this is going to be the story in sports, unfortunately. I thought I might at least be able to tell you about a Wolves victory. It sure looked that way when they led the Spurs 97-81 to in the fourth quarter. Yeah, that's a 16-point fourth quarter lead at that point. ESPN stats gave them a 97.8% chance to win. Um, ESPN stats is a computer uh, rhythm algorithm, not, uh, not a sentient being who has watched Timberwolves games this season i would bet wolves fans gave them about a 50 percent chance to win when they had a 16 point fourth quarter lead and they were correct wolves lose 111 to 108 they have a long stretch of stagnant offense they have a, a stretch of poor defense everything kind of goes wrong down the stretch again D'Angelo Russell takes seven shots in the fourth quarter, only makes two of them. Malik Beasley, who had been the hot hand for most of the game, takes only four shots in the fourth quarter, makes two of them. Here is D'Angelo Russell on kind of his philosophy in the fourth quarter and you know maybe why he decided he was the one to take those shots down the stretch. I feel like throughout the game, I'm kind of being less aggressive, you know, trying to keep guys involved and get guys' confidence and the rhythm going for them. Um, towards the end of the game, I try to be more aggressive. So um, win or lose, I'll take that on. I'll take that. I'll take that um, 
that fault win or lose and be being aggressive at the end of the game. Yeah, and I get what D'Lo's saying there. You want your best players taking those shots. The end of games are different sometimes than, you know, the first 45, you know, 44 minutes of a game. You know, defenses clamp down. Sometimes it does take a little bit of hero ball. Maybe not quite as much hero ball as D'Angelo Russell played in Wednesday night's game. Read more, as always, about all these stories on StarTribune.com and in your Star Tribune newspaper. I'm Nyla Jean Myers, Senior Assistant Sports Editor at the Star Tribune. Thank you for listening to Strip Sports Daily Delivery. This work is made possible by our Star Tribune subscribers. For unlimited access to the articles mentioned in this podcast and our coverage of Minnesota sports from pros to preps, go to startribune.com slash subscribe. All right, I'm very happy to be joined right now by Marcus Fuller. Marcus covers college basketball, Gophers basketball for the Star Tribune, um, does a great job of it. Follow his work on startribune.com, follow him on Twitter. Marcus, uh, how are you doing today? Not bad, not bad. Appreciate it. I'm glad that we uh, finally got the Gophers on on our podcast here. I'm I am excited. too. I'm, I'm thrilled. And I, I want to talk, There's it's a, good, it's a good time to talk Gophers. They play at Rutgers Thursday night. Uh, Marcus, you know better than anybody, but uh, I can't help but point this out. They have not won a road game this season. I don't imagine there has been a lot of teams to make the NCAA tournament that haven't won a road game all season, and yet they do find themselves still in most of these bracket projections. Tell me a little bit more about kind of what uh, where you see the road struggles and, and kind of that, that piece of their season so far. Yeah, I mean, uh, you brought up the NCAA tournament, and I think that it's obvious that, you know, the players are not really thinking about that right now. Um, you know, all the fans and obviously the media like ourselves, you know, it seems like every game that they lose or every game that they win, you know, we bring up where they are in the bracket. And, uh, you know, so far this season, they have not dropped out uh, of the bracket, um, but they did drop out of the top 25 this week for the first time in five weeks. Um, they were as high as 16th, and now, you know, obviously they're not ranked. And a large part of that is because they have not won on the road. Um, at Purdue, they lost by 19. It was their fifth road loss this year. They're 0-5. You know, and it's not about them necessarily losing these games. Um, their first four road games were against ranked opponents. It's how they're losing them. And I think their average margin of defeat this year is by 19 points. And that includes the, the home loss to Maryland. Uh, by 14, uh, which was their first home loss of the season. So, you know, in the beginning, it was about them not translating how they play at home or transferring that, how they play at home to the road. You know, and then now, you know, because of that home loss to Maryland, um, you know, it, it seems like if they keep losing these games by big margins on the road, you know, that could carry over to them struggling at home as well. It does seem like their schedule maybe does, I don't say get easier because the Big Ten is going to be a challenge no matter what, but they had a pretty tough run of games at the, at the first half of the Big Ten season, correct? They had uh, seven games in a row versus ranked opponents and eight straight Big Ten ranked opponents, which if you look back, uh, the Gophers did some digging for us. And uh, I think St. John's in 2011, 2012 was the last high major team that had a stretch like that. Uh, of eight straight ranked opponents in conference play this year, you know, because there are so many good big 10 teams, the Gophers are not the only one that have had a stretch of ranked opponents. Um, you know, Northwestern, they have eight straight losses right now. And those first six losses they had versus ranked opponents. So 
I think, you know, people were encouraged because it was a tough stretch, but they did win some of those games. They beat Iowa, they beat Michigan, they beat Ohio State. And that's what's keeping them in the NCAA tournament right now. But those wins were at, at home. Now they have a, a, a the back half of their schedule is, is road heavy and they're not playing any ranked opponents on the road. So each one of these games that they lose on the road, starting with Rutgers on Thursday, if they lose, it'll drop them quite a bit out of the NCAA tournament mix. And it seems strange to me that this would be a particular issue this year, right? Um, it, it, it seems like this year of all years should be easier to play on the road because there's not a lot of, there's not fans, right? Is that, so have they kind of, have they figured out what it is in particular this year that that's causing this, you know, this, this discrepancy or them not being able to bring their game on the road with them? I think that, you know, you make a good point that, you know, is there a true home court advantage this year in college basketball? Obviously not with the environments, you know, the energy from the fans, you know, I, I, we, they just played at Purdue, right? And they lost by 19. And if this was a normal season, you'd say, hey, you know, that's not that, you know, out of the question because Purdue has one of the craziest environments in all of college basketball at Mackey Arena. You know, it's, probably, it's one of my favorite uh, fan bases to, to, to watch in person. Uh, it's one of the toughest places to play without fans there. You know, it's still a tough place to play because I think teams play more comfortable. They play their best at home, whether the fans are there or not this year, it, it proves that especially when you're dealing with COVID-19 daily testing, you know, on the road, I think the, the teams have said they're more isolated from even their, themselves. You know, they don't, they have to stay in their own rooms and, and, uh, and eat away from the team. And, you know, it's, it's just a, unique situation and it's a different season. And I think teams are playing better at home because it's more comfortable. The routine, routines are a little more the same. For the Gophers, you know, I, I just think that as, as, as they continue to lose on the road, it becomes, you know, part of their identity and their personality. And they just, they can't figure it out. I think more, more so than, than not, it's about their best player. It's Marcus Carr. And for some reason, even last season, he just does not play well on the road. And, you know, you need your best player, one of the best players in the Big Ten and point guards in the country to play well, uh, you know, on the road for them to win. Yeah, that's a good point. Carr obviously drives a lot of what they do. And it did seem like in that Purdue game, I mean, they got off to a, a really hot start. They're making three-pointers left and right. It does feel like when things go sideways for them, whether it's at home or on the road, it's when they, you know, any team is going to have this problem. But it's they stop making shots and they can't get baskets any other way um are they given that are they you know as you've watched them are, are there things they could be doing differently is their approach the right one should they be shooting so many threes i think it's a it feels like it's a good strategy with the way that the the modern game is but if they're not making them do they need, do they need to figure something else out in order to you know sustain their offense and get baskets when they need it yeah yesterday i wrote uh about the four things that i saw in the first half of the big 10 season that caused a lot of these road losses. And, you know, one of the big things you mentioned was the fact that they're shooting too many three pointers. You know, right now they're, they're on pace to have the most three pointers attempted in school history with the, the lowest three point percentage in school history. <laughs> and so, you know, okay. <laughs> there's something wrong about that, uh, that stat or those two stats, you know, but I think what, what you see is a team that beat Iowa, you know, they hit 17 three-pointers. Brandon Johnson hit six threes in that, in, in that game. I'm sorry, eight threes in that game. And he ha he's only hit one three-pointer since then. Mm. Um, I think it's, it's, it's a little of, you know, you, you have the confidence that you can shoot it. 
you know, whether you're not making it. Um, but the teams are, are realizing that because of their such a poor, poor percentage from three, they're giving them that shot. And, you know, Liam Robbins, their, their seven-foot center, he even said at the Purdue game that they're double-teaming me in the post, but they leave me open from three. You know, usually you, you take what the get defense gives you, but some, sometimes that's not the best option. And, you know, when, you're, when your seven-footer is shooting seven three-pointers in a game, you know, yes, he's a capable shooter, but you need him closer to the basket. This is a team that really does not have a true uh, post presence outside of Robbins. So when he's away from the basket, you know, they really struggle to score in the paint. They really struggle to make a presence in the paint. And that's, that's where the big 10 is probably the strongest conference in the country with, you know, the center position every night, you see a, a big man that's going to have a, a huge presence inside. And then Purdue, you know, Travion Williams, you know, he really dominated inside and then they had a lot of players compliment him. Yeah. You mentioned that you mentioned too, that, you know, the team doesn't really pay attention to bracketology right now and nor should they, it's, it's a long way to go. They got to focus on winning games. That said, there was an amusing bracket. I can't remember whose it was that had them as the seven seed and Duke <clears throat> as the 10 seed uh, matched up again, uh, just six weeks to go or something like that before they would anything like that, that would play out. Those are, that's more fodder for, for fans than anything else. I, I you know, good question for you though at this point is what what do you think this team's ceiling is you know is is it a team is the ceiling get in and hope to win a game or is it is this a better team than that is this a team that you think if they figure certain things out could you know at least you know have hopes of getting to a sweet 16 or something like that well i did see that bracket uh i think it was by andy katz and March was, Madness. yeah, yeah and, and uh i think duke has a has a, a lot of work, more work to do than the Gophers to get in the tournament right now. How about that? Yeah, how about that? That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy to say all these blue bloods struggling this year, like Kentucky and, and North Carolina and such. But if you look at the Big Ten, I think that, you know, clearly uh, early on, you know, we could say that there's probably 10 teams. I think even at one point, there's 11 teams that could have made, you know, a case to make the NCAA tournament. Northwestern's fallen from that. Um, you know, Rutgers has struggled a little bit, but they've gotten back together. So I think, you know, when you look at the Big Ten, you know, and the pecking order, Michigan is clearly the best team. Iowa, you know, um, and, you know, Illinois have a chance to possibly make the final four, you know. Um, so at teams outside of that, you know, I think they're lucky and they would probably say it's a great season if they make the Sweet 16. You know, I, I don't consider Minnesota in that breath just yet because they've dropped off with some of these road losses. You know, so I think that if, if they at their best, you know, when they beat Iowa, when they beat Michigan, which I think are two final four caliber teams, they look like a sweet 16 team. Right. But then when they lose on the road and then now versus an unranked opponent in Purdue, who is not in the NCAA tournament mix just yet, they're trying to get in there. Then they look like a team that, you know, they'll be lucky if they make the tournament, if they're a bubble team, they need to start winning some road games just to even be in, in the mix in March in the, for the tournament. Last thing for you, you, you have a uh, story in Thursday's paper um, and on starttribune.com kind of on how COVID has disrupted this season. Obviously that's no secret, but you have a lot of good detail in it. Um, maybe, you know, from, from what you wrote and what you reported for that story, what kind of havoc has the pandemic played on this college basketball season? Well, you know, at first, I think, you know, all teams are lucky to be playing. Um, you know, I, 
we talk about Richard Patino's team, but his his father Rick Patino and Iona, that you know they've been on pause. It seems like for half their season. Um, so I think you know Richard Patino was lucky that he has not had COVID issues that have caused his team to go on pause. But the Big Ten uh, itself has had four teams now on pause, including Michigan, their best team recently, and that's affected the entire league. Uh, Minnesota lost a game versus Nebraska on the road right after they beat Michigan. It destroyed their momentum, and now they've lost two in a row. So my story is going to talk about, you know, a lot, a lot of teams in the Big Ten and how COVID-19 pauses, whether it was within the team or an opponent, has caused some of these teams to struggle with momentum. And Rutgers is a team that, that also struggled with momentum. They lost five straight games, and during that, there was a pause. And now they've kind of regrouped. So I think Minnesota is trying to do that here um, Thursday at, at, at Rutgers. It sounded like the Nebraska case. I, I read some quotes from Fred Hoiberg, their head coach. It sounded like that was pretty – it just ran through the team, and it sounded like he had a particularly you know rough bout with it and is, is on the mend now, but that that was – you know within all this, it's the, you know, it's the, the human element of it too. It's scary. You know, obviously people know Fred Hoiberg here. And, you know, last year when the, when COVID-19 really came on the scene in the big 10, you know, he, Nebraska was the last team Minnesota played at home. And then they, they, you know, it came up in the, in the big 10 tournament where we were scared uh, to see, uh, you know, not fans, not going to games and all of a sudden the tournament canceled. So, you know, it's come come here again uh, with the Big Ten, and, and we're, we're trying to get through this uh, and have a normal season, but we'll have to see how these teams can, can deal with uh, having a pause. All right, Marcus Fuller, thank you so much for uh, for joining the, the Daily Delivery podcast today. Follow his work, Star Tribune, StarTribune.com, Twitter, all those places, and uh, Marcus will chat with you again soon, okay? All right, appreciate it. Thanks again to Marcus for joining me on the program today, um, all guests on the Daily Delivery podcast receive an open standing invitation to join me for Taco Tuesday whenever this pandemic is all finished up. Speaking of the pandemic, at the beginning of the show, you heard me talking about the wild and how the season has been shut down. A uh, funny story about how that relates to the podcast. Not really that funny at all, actually, because the podcast perhaps is the curse on the Minnesota Wild. So at the outset of, you know, starting this uh, starting this show, I reached out to a lot of different, you know, uh, public relations folks, media relations folks in the Twin Cities. Said, hey, I'd love to be able to get some guests on the show. Um, you know, some some players, some some uh, executives, some head coaches, things like that. Um, give a different voice to. You know, give a different voice to the to the listeners. I'm I, I get tired of hearing my own voice. Uh, maybe you guys are too. So, um, you know, reached out to the Wild. They said, "Yeah, absolutely, we can get you somebody." Uh, you know, for that first week, we kind of go back and forth. Who who should it be? Uh, you know, about four or five days ago, we settled on Marcus Foligno. Great, you know, good guy, good talker, nice, solid first guest. Off to a nice start this season. Uh, probably no more than 24 hours after we settle on Marcus Foligno uh, to, to be the interview. It was always going to be an interview that was going to happen yesterday, Wednesday. Uh, Marcus Foligno goes on the COVID list. Okay, you know, th- this is, like I said, sports in 2020, 2021, this happens. So, you know, we get we, we say, okay, let's, let's pivot to a plan B. Uh, how about, uh, you know, a couple other guys I'd put on my list. How about, how about Jared Spurgeon, new captain this year? Perfect. Um, so watching the game the other night. Uh, Jared Spurgeon uh, gets hurt, upper body injury, dreaded upper body injury. So, okay, now we're pivoting to a third potential person. Um, okay, uh, Joel Erickson-Eck 
is is next up on the list. You know, leading goal scorer for the Wild this season, having a surprisingly uh, you know out outburst with the scoring this year. Talked to him yesterday at 12:30 p.m. and no more than four hours later, we find out that he and Spurgeon and Felino are all on the COVID protocol list. So I feel. You know, jokingly, I feel responsible. Obviously, I'm not responsible, but this is not a great start to the attempt to get guests. But I do feel like some of what I talked to Erickson Eck about is still relevant. I want to play you just a few minutes of that because, you know, the season will resume at some point, and, uh, and what he had to say was still interesting in that regard. So let's take a listen to a little bit of what I talked to uh, Joel Erickson Eck about. Right off the bat, I want to say I was... Uh, you know, any any good host, uh, any good interviewer does his homework. Um, so I'm looking through Hockey Reference. That's my hockey site of choice. Looking at the Wild page, uh, going through there. Um, you know, everybody's we're, we're talking a lot about um, you know Kirill Kaprizov, this uh, Kevin Fiala, that everybody knows Zach Parisi. But I, Joel, I could not help but notice um, leading the team with five goals is a guy named. Uh, Joel Erickson Eck, you, uh, what is going on this year? Yeah, you know, I think I had some um, some lucky bounces uh, as well as 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 playing good, uh, and I think uh, just trying to to work hard every day. And uh, me and Greener have have uh, been uh, spending most of the season together, and I think that's uh, that's helped. Um, just learning how how the other guy is thinking, just trying to speak a lot and. And we know what to do to be uh, successful. We are trying to to work hard and uh, go to those uh, hard nosed areas and 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 try to score. You know, coming into this season, you know, twenty four goals for you in your first two hundred and ten career games, and some of that I'm sure is just getting to know the league. Um, aside from you know bounces be, being what they may, or or you know getting to know your line mates, do you feel like? you know, the progression of your game in this league has, has taken another step. Yeah. I think I'm, I'm, I'm learning um, every day. Um, just, just watching a lot of hockey, just see, see what the best players are doing. Just trying to, to learn from them and see, see what they are doing and what I can, can use in my game. And yeah, like I said, it's, it's, uh, it's different coming from, from Sweden to, to over here. It's a lot of more games. The ice uh, is a lot smaller too. So of course it was, a, a, I had to, I had to learn and I had to figure out how, how to play. And I think uh, uh, it feels better for every game that uh, goes on. Last thing for you, and then I'll let you go. What, uh, speaking of, ho- I want to talk about hockey movies for just a minute. What is the best hockey movie in your estimation? And as a follow-up to that, why is it Slapshot? Yeah, I think it's, it's got to be Slapshot. I mean, yes. it's, Good. It's, uh, it's just fun. I mean, those those guys are, are, are fun to watch. And I mean, I think every... <laughs> Every kid that watched it, uh, that movie and playing hockey just thinks it's uh, hilarious. You are number one in my book for saying Slapshot is the best hockey movie. I appreciate it. Uh, Joel Eriksson, thank you for joining me here on the uh, Daily Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, I'm really excited for Infrequently Asked Questions today, a segment where I ask listeners to send in something that's you know, been on their mind, but maybe we don't talk about a whole lot in the sports world. Maybe it's something from the past. Maybe it's something that you just don't really think about. Here is today's question, which I got a listener to read for me. 
Hello, Michael. This is your old friend Mac Wilson, a.k.a. Cenotite, from the Internet. My question is regarding our favorite cornerback from the Minnesota Vikings, Waswa Serwanga. My question is, was Waswa Serwanga really that bad? Or was the criticism from the Vikings community towards him sort of a veiled proxy for racism based on his Ugandan name? That's my question. That is a lot to unpack, Mac. Um, and, you know, it sent me down a rabbit hole, though. And we're, we're not going to obviously solve any questions of any bigger picture questions of systemic racism in a three or four minute podcast segment. But I do think the rabbit hole that it sent me down about the 2000 Vikings season, which is the one that he really, you know, is in question, which was, by, by the way, uh, the the NFC title game, that was 20 years ago. Um, it's very upsetting, uh, a little over 20 years ago, like 20 years in a couple, couple weeks. Um, it sent me down a rabbit hole about that team, and I think that helps explain a little bit about maybe why Waswa has been somewhat unfairly maligned. So here, here we go on, on the 2000 Vikings and we'll get, we'll circle back and, and ultimately answer this question the best we can. But let's, let's, let's start here. By the time they got to the NFC title game, the season had kind of already fallen apart. And I know that sounds weird because they were favored in that game against the Giants. They were road favorites, but here's the thing. The team started 7-0, and lost two in a row, then made it to 11-2. and Then they lost their last three regular season games, all of them convincingly. They were down by, you know, at least double digits in the fourth quarter in all those games, including 31-10 to Indianapolis in the finale with a buy, a, a, a buy on the line, which they eventually got only because Martin Gramatica missed a 40-yard field goal at the end of regulation that would have given Tampa Bay a win over Green Bay. And the, NFC, and the NFC North title and the number two seed. Instead, Ryan Longwell wins it in overtime. The Vikings win the division and get it by and get a very average Saints team in the division round. So Vikings play well in that game, but it's a little bit of fool's gold. They are back at home. They're rested. And yes, Waswa Serwanga played well in that game. He was credited with three pass breakups, six tackles. He played well enough that the Star Tribune commissioned me a very much younger writer at the time, to write a feature on him in the lead-up to the Giants game. And I wrote the the sentence that is seared into my brain, a burned corner has turned the corner um, against the Saints after some rough games uh, that you know he'd been thrust into action late in the season, got torched by Marvin Harrison and the Colts. But I was asserting that, that you know based on this one game of evidence, this extremely small sample size, that he had turned the corner. Anyway... In that story, he says, Corner is a position where they love you one minute and hate you the next. I was fortunate enough to come here and get the opportunity. More on that in a minute, of course. Let's check back on the reason he was even on the field in the first place. And obviously he was good enough to pass some people on the depth chart, you know, get onto an NFL roster, which makes him a good player in and of itself. But it was a depth chart that had been wrecked by injuries. Remember Chris Dishman? <clears throat> he was their big offseason acquisition at corner that year. He played just 11 games, injured his shoulder, missed the stretch run and the playoffs. Kenny Wright, who appeared in all 16 regular season games with seven starts, sprained his knee in the win over the Saints and did not play against the Giants. Starting safety, Orlando Thomas was injured for part of the regular season, returned for the finale and the win over the Saints, strained his hamstring in the New Orleans win and did not play against the Giants. The starting cornerbacks in the NFC title game against the Giants were Robert Tate, a converted wide receiver, and Sir Wanga. 
Defense actually keeps the Vikings in the game early. You might forget Robert Tate and Morgan each had an interception after the Giants were gifted an early lead. But the, Gi- but the Vikings were completely inept all around. The final score lives in infamy, but did you realize it was 41-0 with 12-13 left in the third quarter? The third quarter, people. Anyway, out of the rabbit hole, back to the question. I think Serwanga became a convenient scapegoat for a team that was already falling apart. Maybe his distinct name plays a role in how he's remembered. I'd like to think race or nationality has nothing to do with how most Vikings fans at least think of him. Then again, I'd like to think the Vikings will win a Super Bowl sometime during my lifetime. All right, let's quickly finish with the cooler. The Twins sign Alex Colomay, relief pitcher. 47 saves a few years ago. Very good last year in the shortened season. ERA under one. Um, Good bullpen help. They can use it. The the bigger picture thing I want to mention really quick, though, is I was guilty of this. You guys are all guilty of this. We grumble about the Twins not making any moves early in the offseason. Let's just wait it out next year. This is kind of how baseball rolls. This is how the Twins roll. They're not going to jump in and sign someone for too much money right away, at least not usually. Um, This year, they've added Jay Happ, Andrelton Simmons, uh, re-signed Nelson Cruz, and now added Colome, all of it basically in the last two weeks. So everybody help me remember, next year, let's not panic. That'll do it for today. Remember, subscribe to this podcast. Subscribe to the Star Tribune. Read StarTribune.com. Read it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Nothing but sports 24-7 in the Star Tribune. Thanks so much for joining me here on the Thursday edition of the Daily Delivery Podcast. We will see you again Friday. Huge show tomorrow. Brad Childress, former Vikings coach. Drew McGarry uh, from Defector Media. Um, Good stuff leading up to the Super Bowl.